G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Well, as we do each week on a Thursday, always good to catch up with Charles Newington, National Director of Family Voice Australia, who's coming to us today from Sydney. Hello, Charles. Welcome back. Hi. Morning, morning. Nice to talk to you, Neil. Charles, uh, isn't there a lot of controversial things going on right now? Let's touch on one that is of an international nature and it involves the Catholic Church and Islam. Pope Francis has met with the Islamic leader Sheikh Ahmed Al-Tayeb, the Grand Imam of Egypt's Al-Azhar Mosque, and a joint document which says the pluralism and diversity of religions are willed by God in his wisdom. There's lots in this document, and I know you've had a close look at things that have been going on backwards and forwards, and this is very controversial. What are your thoughts? Yes, it's, um, you know, these documents are very, very complex, uh, and uh, you can see from the what you've said that the traditionalists and the conservative Catholics find this kind of language deeply troubling because, um, you know, one of their key spokespeople, um, Cardinal Mueller, who was formerly the chief of Catholic doctrine in the Vatican, subsequently sacked by the current pope, but he put out this manifesto arguing that this declaration really it contradicts primary things like um, the the Trinity. You know that um, how do we come into some kind of a relationship with other religions when there's such fundamental differences in our view of God? And and he makes the point that the the way in which this conversation is happening it's putting the deity of christ and the uniqueness of christ kind of out of the out of the equation and out of the picture which christians can't do that christ is so central to our understanding of god and our understanding of our relationship with god and so um lots of catholics uh, both in the infrastructure of the church the, you know, the the hierarchy and also in the pews They've been very unsettled by the Pope's actions, um, uh, and this isn't the first time he's unsettled Catholicism. So um, <laughs> it's not easy. One of the net results of that is that people are either less active as Catholics, or they're actually leaving the Catholic Church uh, because of these sorts of um, these sorts of positions. Hey, Charles, let's put aside for a moment that evangelicals and Catholics sometimes have differences, or those who are, you know, Reformed and Catholic. There's all sorts of different ways that the church is, is broken down into different groups. But let's just focus on Catholics for a moment here, because what it does bring into focus when you have a joint document signed by a Christian denomination and uh, the Islamic uh, movement, uh, then you have uh, this conflict that instantly develops because, as you say, the divinity of Christ comes into question here, as I understand it, in Islam, uh, the God of Islam, Allah, 
which we would say as Christians is a different God to the God of the Bible because uh, those in Islam say Allah uh, is God and he has no son. And so it leaves Jesus out of the question. So if you've got the Catholic Church signing a document uh, in line with the Islamic religion, then it denies Jesus' divinity. Is this something of the essence of, of where the controversy lies? Very much so, but also there's such a long history. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, we sometimes forget as Australians because we're a new nation we, and we don't necessarily uh, value our history that much um, um, or as much as we should. Um, we kind of don't think that history is that important. But when you've been part of the Middle East, for instance, you know, and um, you can, you've been part of the complex mix of, of religious and cultural life in the Middle East, history is very much in play. And um, so there's a history of um, of very unsatisfactory un, un, uh, relationships, particularly between Islam and Christianity. And, and um, what one of the things that I think about this, however, is that it's showing us how the old classical um, blocks or or uh, religious um, blocks and ideas, uh, these groupings are kind of going through major transformation, and some people. Um, moving out of uh, a religious block, they're becoming non-religious or they're shifting their religious affiliation in much bigger numbers than uh, than used to happen um, uh, recently. Like, for instance, if, uh, in Egypt um, at the present moment, there's significant numbers of people who have been historically Muslims uh, no longer identifying as Muslims. Uh, some of them are just wanting to be atheists or non, non, non-faith people, but many of them are changing their religion. And that's very true also in Iran. Literally um, hundreds of thousands, particularly of the younger population, are saying they don't want to identify with Islam because of the fundamentalism of it and ironically within sections like the the, the Catholic Church um, people are saying they don't want to identify with the Catholic Church not only because of the sexual impropriety of its leaders but also because of the in the drift um, uh, to a kind of a a what we might call a non-biblical view or a non-traditional view of Christian doctrine and these shifts these population shifts are, are, are very significant so I, I remember growing up and we used to talk about the Islamic world as if it was a monolithic block of nations where um, uh, Muslim-majority nations worked together and thought together and there wasn't much diversity. Well, that is starting to sort of crack uh, and, 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 and shift. And a lot of that is coming from the fundamentalism in Islam like uh, um, ISIS and Al-Qaeda and groups like that that have, that have taken Islam uh, beyond the point of tolerance for the average Muslim, and um, and this is happening not just in in Islam and Christianity, but these sorts of shifts are are happening globally, and um, people are moving out of those historical communities, and they're like you know a lot of the people that are in movement today, the migrant movements that are happening in the world today, they're moving out of of historical religious blocks into other blocks, like from the Middle East into Europe where the religious uh, history and the cultural values are so entirely different. And, and a lot of that movement is because they deliberately want to get away from their historical association. Um, while there are minorities there that, that, that want to carry it with them uh, into the new world that they're moving into. Um, but it, it's just changing the world. And, uh, 
and just to finish off with this, it, it, it's, it's changing the nature of cities particularly because we see that these big population movements are regrouping in cities and we find in these huge cities in Australia like Sydney and Melbourne, we find this cultural mix. It's not just a cultural and ethnic mix, it's a religious mix as well. And, uh, and they're having to kind of work out how, how are we going to live together as a nation when we've got such strong religious affiliations um, living cheek by jowl and, and temples going up and mosques going up and a whole range of uh, Christian denominations trying to either selling or, or, or rejuvenating. Um, this is a new environment that, um, that, that is quite a new experience for, for the world. And it does create opportunities too as Christian believers. But let me just come back to this document here for a few moments, Charles. Yeah. Uh, the document is called The Document on Human Fraternity for World Peace and Living Together. And yeah. I did take a little opportunity before coming on the air today to have a look through that document. And you know what? It all sounds nice. It's so well-worded. It sounds very, very good. It is a declaration of fraternity, of calling for peace between nations, uh, religions and races uh, in front of a global audience of religious leaders from Christianity, Islam, Judaism and other faiths too. But uh, how we do that and not compromise these things that we hold dear, uh, doctrinal, uh, those issues, uh, as we mentioned, the Trinity and the deity of Christ, uh, it becomes an impossibility to actually stand together on those things. So when you have this sort of human fraternity uh, between religious organizations where you do want people to work together uh, for the good of humanity, but and yet... Uh, when they start to talk about having the same God, uh, that does create a little bit of an alarm bell ringing in a lot of minds. Mm, I agree. I think that the that the emphasis, uh, you know, I, I personally say to people that that when we look at each other, there's a tendency to see the things that that distinguish us from other people. You know, the us and them tendency. We look at them; they're either older than us or younger than us, or fatter than us or thinner than us or darker than us or lighter than us. We see all these distinctives and we fail to see the things that unite us, the shared humanity, this fraternity. And in, in this sectionalized world, in this fragmenting world, there's a real concern that these fragments are going to become very explosive. We can see they already are. And what we, what we don't want is a world that is, that is, once again, the future of the world being caused by religious tension. So I, I can understand why people would want to resolve the interfaith uh, relationships. The challenge is, however, is to learn to respect each other's theological differences so that we don't, um, <clears throat> you know, we, we, we learn to recognize that part of faith is that faith is... Um, Faith is an intensely personal thing. It's a convictional thing. There's a lot of passion in it. Um, and somehow or other we've got to, uh, in our kind of nation, we've got to permit this diversity genuinely and honestly and permit people and, and give people the scope to change their minds about their religious affiliation without creating uh, a, a national disaster, you know, and landing up in a... Because that's the thing about faith is faith... You know, the great documents, the, the, the UN Declaration of Human Rights talks a lot about this and about the importance of faith and the right that a person has not only to, to, to maintain their faith, but to change it. 
And, and they were doing that against the back, and that's being written back in the 50s, but it was being written because we were seeing that religion, it can be an explosive dynamic in society. And, that, and for us as Christians, you know, we, Christ sends us into the world as peacemakers. So we have got a responsibility to work this stuff out uh, as good citizens and as followers of Christ, but, but not at the expense of the great fundamentals by which and through which people are saved. And, you know, we can't keep talking about this uh, for much longer, but just to mention, too, that there is, uh, with all of these shifts, uh, this diversity, with the risk of conflict, uh, inter-religious conflict, uh, you have those uh, international uh, world religious leaders uh, talking about ways that they can avoid World War Three. Now, that in itself is chilling to know that those global religious leaders are in fact acknowledging that that is a possibility on religious grounds. And I'd encourage listeners to have a look at the document, read it for themselves, because you can read it for yourself. I did mention the name of it. It's called The Document on Human Fraternity for World Peace and Living Together. You can read it and take note, though, with those uh, those joint statements about God and uh, serving the same God. Uh, let's move on because it's not just these movements uh, that we might talk about uh, with uh, uh, organizations uh, and the different sorts of communities that are developing even in every capital city around the world, which uh, now look like a global set of communities. But it's also happening, Charles, uh, within the LGBTQI community. Uh, what are your thoughts yeah. about this sort of uh, change that's going on within that group? Well, there's been a number of um, uh, kind of uh, conferences and things like that where uh, people who are in the lesbian community or the gay community um, starting to talk about the fact that they feel that the transgender uh, ideology that that sex is meaningless, it's just a social construction, um, uh, and that what really matters is how you self-identify, you know, the gender that you, that you choose for yourself. That's what really matters. Um, you know, within that LGBTIQ plus community, they're starting to recognise that that they've got some fundamental differences, and they, uh, the, the, the lesbian, gay side, our spokespeople are coming out and saying that they feel that uh, transgenderism um, is um, is actually gender dysphoria. You know that um, that what they're dealing with is a kind of a mental health issue here, rather than um, something that is innate in the very nature of a human being. They they would feel that their particular sexual uh, uh, um, orientation is innate; it's in their nature. Whereas the, the you know the 62 different or 65 different um, genders that are out there, these are actually not so much innate. These are um, these are actually conditions, part of the gender dysphoria, where somebody is. Is, is psychologically uncertain about their identity and needs help to work that through. And Charles, there's an interesting development to note here, uh, that the word innate is becoming Fair another enough. one of these fashionable words yeah. and uh, perhaps taking on a particular meaning. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, the development of the use of this word innate? Well, when you know, when we've used the word innate um, historically, we've 
we've talked about that, which is part of my nature. You know, it's in my nature to do this. It's innate. So it's in a man's nature to be to behave as a man. It's in a woman's nature to behave as a woman. You know, when you can understand that when you when sort of academics start to look at these things more closely, um, they can they can make them uh, uh, disappear uh, by some magic trick. But the average person in the streets getting a little bit tired of this kind of um, intellectual uh, deconstruction of human identity. They more and more people can can see that. Uh, that, that there's a denial of the obvious. A man is obviously a man, and a woman is obviously a woman, uh, regardless of how hard they might work on their on their surgery or whatever. Deep in their DNA, they are what they are. This is this is an innate gender uh, thing. So this this word um, is is helpful in a sense because it it's it's saying that there is actually something. Uh, that is um, special and unique to the biological genders, and uh, uh, and actually there's something we once again would use the word not just about our gender, but also about character. That some people are um, uh, they find that they struggle with uh, with particular behaviours that they don't necessarily um, like, but that's part of who they are, and they wish they could change it, and they feel in this particular addiction or orientation or fixation or whatever and they wish that somebody could help them and you know of course the psychology industry is, is, is has been built around these needs but this really feeds directly into um, the, 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 the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of the person and message of Christ because he comes directly to that point of need where we re- when we realize and are willing to acknowledge that there's stuff going on in me that I can't fix that I can't change. It seems to be a part of my nature and a part that I don't like and I wish somebody could help me with it. And that's exactly what Jesus comes to, to do. And, and he's the one that, you know, there are so many millions of people around the world will tell, will bear witness to the fact they've had a transformative experience uh, when they've yielded their life up to Christ and let him do the work in them that they can't do in themselves. So when people are using that word innate, uh, that, in fact, uh, plays very strongly to this idea that God has created man and woman and uh, they are different and they are separate and they cannot change. And uh, so uh, great thoughts, uh, as always. Uh, always appreciate your insights. Uh, just tremendous getting those, Charles. And let me point people to the website for Family Voice Australia Uh, You can simply go to familyvoice.org.au and you'll find great resources there helping you think through some of the issues from a Christian perspective. Charles Newington is the National Director of Family Voice Australia. Charles, appreciate you. Thanks so much for joining us once again today on 2020. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.